Hey there, true believer. Do you ever wonder why bad things seem to happen seemingly randomly without any explanation as to what caused them? Well, if you've ever had that question, then stay tuned for part two of Job and Jesus from Simply Devotion. Hey there, fellow true believers. Welcome to Simply Devotion, a podcast that takes complex theological ideas and transforms them into points of understanding. I am your host, Pastor Vinny, from simplyvinny.com. It does totally seem like sometimes things happen completely random. And we're going to get into how Job felt about that and what answer God gave him. By the way, before we get started, this is part two of my series on Job and Jesus, two-part series. So if you haven't heard part one, I do recommend you go back and hear part one. It was a sermon. And it was condensed into a podcast, and it was a slightly different feel than my normal podcast, but it really just spanned the whole book of Job and summarized the whole book of Job. So it would be like so helpful to you as we embark on a little bit deeper thinking about the book of Job and human suffering. Hey, by the way, have you subscribed to this podcast? I mean, I know you've been listening. I, I see the numbers and I, I look at the dashboard to see how many people have been listening. But are, are you subscribed to it? Because subscribing to it is different than just listening to it. And all you have to do is hit follow or subscribe on whatever device you're using right now on your smartphone or tablet to make sure that you know when a brand new episode comes out, you will be actually notified by your app. How cool is that? By the way, I also appreciate any recommendations because I know that you're not the only one who deals with pain and suffering and Job and Jesus issues. We all do. And so maybe there's someone in your life that could particularly be enlightened or maybe even healed from what we're talking about in pain and suffering in this episode and the last episode. Now, let's get on with what the book of Job has to teach us. One of the things perhaps that's always been frustrating when we read the book of Job is these three friends, like with friends like Job's friend, who needs any friends at all, right? And in the purpose of this podcast, we really can't get into all the details of his friends, but basically his friends come to comfort him, and, and this is a good thing. And and it does say that they sit with him a long time and they remain silent. But then at some point Job opens his mouth and starts to complain about about all the things that's happened in his life. He's lost his children, he's lost his wealth, he's lost his health, he's lost everything. And it's almost like his friends were able to be silent, but as soon as Job begins to complain about the character of God and why would God do this to him because Job has been so faithful to God. And by the way, Job had been faithful to God. In fact, the author of the book of Job goes out of his way to say that you know, Job was blameless. There are a few people that are called blameless and upright in the Bible. I think, you know, David was called that. Jesus definitely was called that. But it's a very rare thing is my point, right? And so, you know, 
Job's deal is like, I didn't do anything, so why would God do this to me? And so immediately his friends begin to dig in and defend God's honor. And by the way, this is a really good lesson for those of us who counsel or comfort or care for people who are suffering. Just shut up sometimes. You don't have to answer for God. God doesn't need you to answer for him. And when you say things to try to defend God's honor, you usually drag him into the mud. And that's exactly what Job's three friends do. They, they, they drag God's honor into the mud in trying to defend him. I mean, there's like, God did this to you for a reason. You must have a hidden sin. And, you know, God knew your heart. You know, they're all this garbage. And, you know, sometimes we just... In trying to defend God or trying to comfort people, like we just like, oh, it's so hard. Sometimes we don't know what to say. And because it's awkward to not know what to say, we say really dumb things. I just want to say to you, both as a pastor and as a former mental health care worker, you know, like sometimes the better thing to say when someone is suffering is nothing. It's just to be with them, to be quiet and to let them lead the conversation when they're ready, be quick to listen and even quicker to shut up unless you're called upon. Nonetheless, his friends and him get into this big argument. It goes on and on and on and on. And it's intense. And Job gets depressed. And Job's like, I wish I was never born. I want to die. And, you know, what kind of God would let me be born if all this was going to happen to me? And, you know, Job's got a point. And let's just be honest about pain and suffering. And let's not be so quick to defend God's honor that we don't acknowledge how much pain and suffering really, you know, can I say it? Sucks. It's not good. And, you know, why me? That's like the classic question, right? And, you know, I am writing a book about this and I can't give everything away. I do answer or attempt to answer the question of why me. But the point I really want to make today is not why me or why do these things happen? The point I want to make to you today is even just a little bit more profound than that. It's that Job never finds out. I mean, if you stop and think about the book, we find out more about what happened to Job and why than Job ever does. I mean, Job theoretically dies never knowing why God struck him down, why God struck down his children, why God struck down his business, why God left him with everything gone. The only thing Job had was a wife who complained and told him it was his fault and that he should curse God and die. Um... We want to believe that some reconciliation happened because Job has more children with her later in the book. But there's some rough times in that marriage. And, you know, when there's pain and when there's suffering, there, there's going to be a stress in your relationships. And so we see the stress in the relationships of Job's three best friends and in the relationship with his wife. Basically, we see every relationship that Job has left because he's lost his children and his workers. Every relationship Job has left left becomes highly stressed and problematic and contributes to take him down not building him up now job doesn't know why he knows that something has happened to him he says something like curse the day that leviathan struck or the snake or the serpent struck and and this is true but you know 
Job never finds out what we find about out about in Job one through three. You know this 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 whole councils of heaven thing and this whole hitchhiker that goes up to heaven and the 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 Satan, which simply means the adversary. Now we as Christians, you know, and looking at other chapters in the Bible like you know Revelation twelve and Genesis three, we we liken the adversary to being Satan. Um, but in the book of Job, it's just the adversary. And this adversary goes with the angels to heaven to report to God and starts hurling these accusations against Job's character. And when God tries to defend Job, the adversary, Satan, you know, the devil, as we would call him in the Christian traditions, would, would say, you know, you know, Job is just a good guy because you do everything for him. If you would, you know, lower the self-defense system that you have around, if you would lower the um, security system that you set up around around him and, and if he actually ever felt any real pain then you would see how quickly he turns away from you and you know there's all kinds of things we could talk about in that whole scenario and, and again this is only a two-part podcast and again I want to advocate you look for my book when it comes out um I have to finish it but hang in there I will keep checking my website um but here's the thing what is going on is that Job never knows that there was an adversary who made an attack both on his character and God's character. Job never knows that God never let the adversary, the Satan, the Satan, the devil, get full access to Job's life. Job never finds out that God was still shielding him. And that it could have been worse. And Job never finds out. In fact, God just completely refuses to tell Job. Even when finally God shows up in the whirlwind and talks to Job a little louder. And this was, you know, as I researched and, and studied this book in depth and sort of thought about this idea, this... This was a troubling idea to me, but also a fascinating idea. God doesn't have to answer us. God doesn't have to tell us why. I mean, I guess we could ask, should he tell us why? But we can't really ask, does he have to? He, he doesn't. He's God, right? He can choose to do or not do what he wants. But yet, in the same token... You know, as I mentioned in the sermon that hopefully you've already listened to, if not, go back and listen to it. While God doesn't tell Job what happened or why it happened, God points to who made it happen. And the one that made it happen was not God, but the Leviathan. Now, I know that scholars will differ upon who Leviathan is and so forth, and we covered that in the last podcast, and I can't keep recovering material. I just, again, tell you to go back and listen to the last podcast. But he points to the Leviathan, the serpent, the sea serpent, the snake, the devil, as the one who caused Job's pain. In fact, he even went further to say, not only did the serpent or the Leviathan or the sea monster do this to you, but, you know, 
If you think you could do better with this monster, if you think you could put a hook in his jaw and lead him around and get him to behave, you know, Job, you are welcome and free to do so anytime you want. And then, you know, God invokes all these questions about creation. And finally, Job begins to get the picture that Job really doesn't know how the world was made. Job really doesn't know where sin comes from. And Job doesn't even know where to find Leviathan or how Leviathan came into existence, let alone why God lets Leviathan crawl on the earth and why Leviathan has bitten him. And so Job yields to God. And Job realizes that there are more things at play than Job can actually see. And really right there, right there is the key point. And if we can just focus in there for a minute, you know, this week I received some bad news about someone I really care about who's very sick. And, you know, it just really was difficult for me. And, you know, I've been praying for this person for a long time, but, you know, when you care about people who are sick, it's difficult, right? And yeah, yeah, maybe you're there too. Um, maybe you've been there. But here's the thing. We won't always know why. And we won't always know if God will heal or not heal. And we won't always know, you know, what happened in the past or how God's going to see us through in the future. But what we can know is what Job comes to understand. For whatever reason evil happens to us, for whatever reason sin exists, for whatever reason we feel the bite of the serpent, even if we never find out why, there is a God, and there is a God who is a redeemer, and there is a God who is alive, and there is a God who is still powerful, and there is a God who created everything, and if there's a God who created everything, then there's a God who can recreate anything. A God who created everything can recreate anything, and Job has this hope of the resurrection deep in his heart. Because why? Well, if there's a God who can create, there's a God who can recreate. If there's a God who can make, there's a God who can reinstitute. If there's a God who brought Job into existence once, maybe this God would bring Job into existence again. And if this God is able to make everything right that is now wrong, then maybe it's not this God's fault for what actually happened. Jesus addresses this very situation in Matthew 13. Around verse 24, he begins to teach another parable. Matthew 13 is full of parables. So around 24, he's teaching a different parable than previously taught in the same chapter. And he's teaching about this guy who is a farmer. And this guy that's a farmer has planted good seed. And it says, you know, Jesus is saying, God's kingdom is like a man who planted good seed in the field. 
That night, while everyone was asleep, the man's enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, and then slipped away and left. Later, the wheat, the wheat grew, and the heads of the grain grew on the plants. But at the same time, the weeds also grew amongst them. Then the man's servants came to him and said, You planted good seed in your field. So where did these weeds come from? The man probably sighed like this and then said, An enemy has planted these weeds. So the servants asked, Do you want us to go and pull up the weeds? He answered, No, because when you pull up the weeds, you might also pull up the wheat. Let the weeds and the wheat grow together until the harvest time. At harvest time, I will tell the workers first. Gather the weeds and tie them up to be burned. Then gather up the wheat and bring it into my sweet barn. And then Matthew makes this comment about the parable. Matthew says, Then Jesus told the people another story. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that a man plants in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows... It is the largest of the garden plants, and it becomes a big tree, enough for birds to come and to nest in its branches. Then Jesus told them another story. The kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman mixes in a big bowl of flour to make bread. The yeast makes all the dough rise. Jesus used these stories and all these things to tell the people and to teach them of what the prophets met, meant when they said, I will speak using stories. I will tell secrets from before the world was made. We find all this in Matthew 13. Listen, Jesus told parables in parables about farming at that to tell the secrets of before the world even existed right so there's this farmer and he's only planting good things he only wants good things but it's an enemy that plants bad things and the farmer tells the workers look it wasn't me that did it it was the enemy right this is job's situation he thinks god did it the friends think God did it, but an enemy did it. But then there's this next parable right after it about the mustard seed. And it's like this pain that Job is going through is like also like this mustard seed that when it grows, it grows and it grows Job to be bigger and stronger. And he is able to house the birds and the animals of the field in his branches. And then the next parable goes on to say that his spirituality will be like dough rising with yeast, right? So, so what are we talking about here? Life hurts. 
bad things are going to happen. You're not always going to know why. And it's almost never going to be fair. Because after all, sin is never fair. But if we trust God, if we walk with God, in goodness or badness, whatever the case may be, He will take our pain and He will make it into something that will house many birds and many wild animals and our faith will overgrow and strengthen many strangers, right? Like the yeast in the dough. And this kind of reminds me of like the book of Genesis and the story of what happened to Joseph when his brothers sold him into slavery. It was not fair, but because they sold him into slavery, he grew up to work for and win the favor of the Pharaoh. And when the famine came, his brothers, not even knowing who he was, came to him for help. Remember this story? And then he disclosed to them, I am the brother. I'm not the Pharaoh's right-hand man. I am the brother you sold into slavery. And they're like, he will surely kill us now or let us starve. But remember what Joseph said? Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good and to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Look, I'm not going to be brass and say to you that just suck up your suffering because other people will have faith because of what you're going through because I don't think that's fair. But what I will say If you stick with your suffering, if you trust God in your suffering, if you trust God even with unfair loss, and all the loss that Job has is unfair, it's not his fault. An enemy did this. God can make good come out of even bad. And you say, well, that's nice, Pastor, but... Not everyone survives the evil that happens to them. Like, not everyone gets healed. Not everyone is cured. Not everyone, you know, can can even tolerate the pain long enough to keep living with it. Like, there is a lot of pain out there, and it's easy for you to say, well, you know, something good's going to come out of it. I'm not saying that. There's nothing good coming out of sin. Did you hear me? Sin is not good. And disease is not good. And suffering is not good. And human pain is not good. Economic destruction is not good. Bankruptcy is not good. Divorce is not good. Losing your children is not good. Struggling with a debilitating illness is not good. Mental health and emotional health issues are not good. I am not saying they're good. And I'm not saying that, you know... God lets these things happen for good. No, these things happened, as Joseph said, for evil. And they are because, as Jesus said, from the enemy. They are not God's causation. But the fact that God didn't cause them doesn't prevent God from taking what was meant for evil what was perpetrated for evil, what happened because of evil, in finding something redemptive at the end 
of the suffering. And you say, well, pastor, some people, they'll never make it out of the suffering. And you know, it's true. But the end of your suffering, even the end of your life, is not the end of the journey of redemption. And so Job, in the middle of his pain, Job in the depths of his pain, Job at the point where he's completely suicidal and angry and furious at God and just wants to die and just like is angry that God ever let his mother nurse him. He like literally says that, right? Job, his mind, his heart is ready to give up. It's crushing to hear Job talk that way. A man who loved God so much and, you know, pain is real. And I can't, I want to tell you nice, sweet things to comfort you, but how can I? I don't know what you're going through. And I can't just simply tell you it will be okay when I don't know if it will be. But Job, in the middle of this, looks forward to a different day, a different day, a day on the other side of his pain. And that's where I want to take you today. I want to take you to the day on the other side of our pain. Job once again in chapter 19 begins to rebut his friend's accusation about how he is the architect of his own pain, how he is the one that is deserving of what's happened to him because his friend's argument is, God's just, so if unjust things are happened to you, you must have made it happen. And so Job begins in chapter 19 saying, How long will you torment me? How long will you crush me with words? Ten times now you have reproached me shamelessly. You attack me. If it is true that I have gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. If indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humili humiliation against me, then you know that God has wronged me. And draw his net around me. Though I cry violence, I get no reply. Though I call for help, there is no justice. He has blocked my way so I cannot pass. He has shrouded my path with darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. His anger burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and they encamp around my tent. He has alienated 
my family from me, my acquaintances are completely estranged from me, my relatives have gone away, my closest friends have forgotten me, my guests and my female servants count me like a foreigner in my own house. They look at me like I am a stranger to them. I summon my servant, but, 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 but he will not even answer me. Though I beg him with my mouth, my breath, oh, my breath is so offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my family, my own family. Even the little boys in the village scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I have loved turned against me. I, I am nothing. Just skin and bones. I, I, I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me my friends, have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why, why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, my words. Oh, that my words were, were recorded like, like as if they were like written in a scroll. That they were inscribed with iron tools and lead and engraved in rocks forever. Now watch what Job says at the end of this incredible lament against his friends for accusing him of lying to them, for accusing them, for accusing him of having hidden sin. This is what Job says in chapter 19 and verse 25. I know my Redeemer lives. And then at the end, he will stand on the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I, I, I will seek God. I, myself, with my own eyes, I will see him. It will be me, not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. I want you to think about what 
Job is saying, look, everyone's against me. My wife has deserted me. My family detests me. My friends lie about me. The people I have sought to help and to heal my whole life long abandoned me. I can't even get someone I pay to come into my room and give me a drink of water or some medicine. I just lay here suffering and nobody cares. I don't think I'm going to make it out. But that's okay. On the day that I am in the grave, I know my Redeemer still lives. This is the essence of Job and Jesus. This is really for me one of the fundamental points to make about this book. Job holds intention, immense suffering beyond the elegance of even the best poetry in the Hebrew scriptures to truly convey his emptiness and abandonment. But he holds that intention. He does not deny it but it's not the only emotion he has. He holds it against hope. Yes, hope. He is able to both immensely suffer at levels that elegant poetry can't even capture and yet not deny an inch of the abandonment and the agony and the suffering and the humiliation and at the same time not deny the hope that lives in his heart the hope of the resurrection the hope of the resurrection morning the hope that he will see jesus he may not know the name jesus but the hope that he will see his redeemer who is jesus the hope that he will see him how how job is talking about being dead but job says i will still see him even though my skin is gone and my bones are gone i will still see him he will stand on the earth after my skin has been destroyed. Yet in my flesh, I will see my God. Think about the hope that lives within despair. Yes, despair is fertile ground for hope. And this is what Job is saying. My skin will be gone. My bones will be crushed. But still, somehow, he doesn't understand how. He doesn't understand about the resurrection. He doesn't understand about these New Testament ideas. But somehow, my God will have it that we will still see each other face to face. He will explain it to me. I don't know it now. But there will be a time. Even after all this has passed, that God 
will look me in the eye and I will look God in the eye. And my heart still, despite all that has happened, my heart still yearns for that moment. Oh, my heart learns to hear Jesus tell me what happened. My heart yearns to hear why I was tested so much. My heart yearns to know what it will never know in Job's life. You see, Job is speaking of the resurrection. Job is speaking of the judgment. Job is confident in his Redeemer. And he uses the word Redeemer, which signifies he understands that he does need redemption. But at the same time, he has done nothing that should have caused all of this to have happened to him. So that confusion is still mixed with a hope in a God that redeems, a hope in a God that resurrects. Yes, you say some people don't make it out of the pain, but that's really a choice. Because death is only final. if you choose it to be. Job chooses to believe in faith. He will see his God. There will be answers on the morning when his redemption draweth nigh. Job is in despair, but despair does not have to be devoid of hope. I think one of the problems of a lopsided gospel, which is an idea I will explore in depth into the book I am writing, is that we have presented a lopsided gospel where we teach people they either need to be happy or sad. And the truth is, hope finds root in despair. Not because God creates despair. Because actually, despair robs you of joy. And so God springs up hope in you in the middle of despair so that your joy is not eternally lost. Listen, just think theologically for a moment. If there was never doubt, 
if there was never hurt, if there was never an ad adverse situation, then you wouldn't need hope because you would have constant connection to joy. Hope is the act of faith in the returning of joy. When we say we have this hope, what we mean is not that we're always devoid of joy, but that we have hope. We look for the end of hurt. We look for the end of adverse circumstances. We look for the end of sin for that, as the Apostle Paul put it, joy could be complete. Job, in despair, finds hope because there is a God in heaven who wants to bring Job back into connection with joy. And so when I say we too often create a lopsided gospel, we teach people that there's something wrong with them when they're depressed. We teach them that there's something wrong with them when they find despair and discouragement. We teach them that there's something wrong with them when they fall into doubt. I say rubbish. It's not what's wrong with Job. It's what's wrong with Leviathan. It's what's wrong with his friends. It's what's wrong with his family. It's what's wrong with the world. It's that we're in a broken world. And I'm sorry. There are going to be times in a broken world where it's going to hurt. Thank God our Redeemer lives. Thank God he plants hope back into the middle of our fertile despair so that one day complete Full joy will flood us for eternity. Don't preach a lopsided gospel. There is good news because there was bad news first, right? It was not good news before the problem. Because there's a problem, we need good news, gospel. It doesn't seem fair, does it? Well, my book will be entitled The Unfairness of the Gospel. And I'm not giving away the whole plot of my book, but here's a little teaser. The gospel is unfair. And when you really understand that, you wouldn't want it to be fair because it's unfair in your favor. Now, 
we have to be careful. So many people hit despair and we rob them of their hope. Job's friends, Job's families, Job's community, they rob him of hope when what he really needs in despair is not to be convinced that he's wrong for having despair, not to be convinced that he's subpar for being depressed, not 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 even to be told, listen to me, church, because we say this to people all the time, not even to be told your problems are because of your choices. That doesn't mean I don't believe in personal responsibility, But this world is broken and not everything that hurts is our fault. I have sat for hours while surgeons cut into my wife's skull. Patched up parts of her brain. I have sat in waiting rooms with no answer from a surgeon for over 12 hours for surgery that was scheduled for four. And when I went to the nurse and I said, I've got to know what's going on in the surgery. Her response was, The doctor wants you to know he can come out and explain to you the problem or he can save your wife's life. It's up to you. (laughs) It's in these moments that we need to teach people to have hope. By the way, the brain disorder is not my wife's fault. She has a genetic disorder that she didn't even know was in her family tree that struck her down at age 40. It wasn't fair. And what happened to Job wasn't fair. And when unfair things happen to people and then we blame them for how they feel about it? No. It's good news because people really do live in a world of bad news. Before the fall, it was just news. (laughs) Not neutral news, but there was no idea of bad. Isn't that what we're told about the tree of knowledge? No, man knows about good and bad. Yeah, before there was no reason to know about good and bad. There just was. It was joy. But now... There's bad, and so there must be good to counter it. There's depression and despair, so there must be hope to reconnect it. Job gives this warning to his friends. Right after this whole thing about the redemption, Job gives this warning. He says, if you say how, we will hound him, since the root of the trouble lies in him. This is verse 28 of 19, right after the whole Redeemer lives passage. He turns to his friends and he says, if you say how, we will hound him, since the root of the trouble lies in him. You should fear the sword yourselves. The wrath will bring punishment by the sword. And then you will know that there is a judgment. In other words, look, 
Job is saying he will face his redeemer. His redeemer will answer for what happened. He will explain it. Job is in despair, but not without hope. But his friends will face that same redeemer. And what will they defend themselves for? The arguments that they gave Job that pushed him further down. Be pastoral. Be compassionate. Be loving. You don't know what that person who cuts you off in traffic is going through. You don't know what that guy waiting in the waiting room for the surgeon to come back is thinking. You don't know what that annoying person sitting in your pew had happened to them that morning. You don't know about that power-hungry boss over you that's always on your case is facing that old quote, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Some have attributed to John Watson. Some have attributed to Ian McLaren. Some as far back as Plato. The most likely one that historians agree on is Philo of Alexandria. Philo was a Jewish philosopher. But it really doesn't matter who said it. Job said it first. Don't burden him with your judgment. Because he fights a battle you don't understand. And you will answer, just as he will answer, to the living God about, did you plant hope or further push despair? So as Philo of Alexandria probably wrote, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And as Frederick Nietzsche, the great German philosopher wrote, whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process, he, and I'll add, or she, does not become a monster. And if you gaze long enough into an abyss, the abyss will gaze back into you. Frederick Nietzsche, the ex-extential German philosopher, 1844 to 1900. What have we learned? We have learned a few lessons here in the book of Job, and I am only scraping the surface and both of my podcast episodes on Job have went longer than normal, but 
I don't know, I could have done a third part, shoot me a text message or uh, a tweet. Maybe I can revisit this next season. But I wanted to give you enough to whet your appetite. This is a book worthy of greater examination and profound philosophical thinking about what it is we believe about God, the nature of evil, and each other. Okay, here's what we learned. Recapping, we learned many things, I hope, but here's recapping between part one, which was last week, and this is part two, is that Job never finds out why what happened to him happened. Job never gets the why to his trauma. Two. We, thousands of years later, find out more about why and what really happened to Job than he ever does in his life. Three. The best thing to do when someone is suffering is shut up. I know that sounds harsh, right? Controversial, but it's true. Be pastoral. Be compassionate. Listen. Avoid at all costs platitudes. Shut up. Comfort. Listen. Four. Despair happens because the world is broken. It can be self-inflicted. It might not be. And in the same breath that Job did not know what, why what happened to him happened... You might think you're smart. You might think you observed everything. No human observes everything about each other. You can't. You're not in their head. You don't live it. We don't even know everything about ourselves. We don't even know ourselves. The Bible says we our heart is wicked and deceives even us about ourselves. So how are we going to know if all the level of suffering and despair someone is going through is their own fault? Oh, well, I saw them doing drugs, or or I, I, they left God, or, or or they lived this life. No, no, don't, no, no. You don't know the reasons. You don't know the, the, what happened behind the story that you can't see, right? Job warns. When we judge people that way, we don't let hope grow in despair. Despair happens. Why? Because... It's not supposed to happen, but now we know good and evil. Going back to Genesis 3. Before, we just knew joy and completeness. Now we know good and evil, and so we need hope to take root and to elevate us and make a bridge between despair and joy. This is the work of the Redeemer that Job sees in faith. Okay, 
So there's probably two there. One, hope grows in despair. And two, don't rob people of that hope growing in despair. Recapping. Job never finds out why. Two, we find out more about why than Job does. Three, the very best thing you can do for someone who is suffering is shut up. Listen, be pastoral, avoid platitudes at all costs. It's tempting, don't do it. Four, hope grows in despair. Five, don't pull people out of despair. Journey through it with them until they find hope. In my upcoming book, I will also explore more concepts like what is the function of pain? Why does pain exist in the universe? Does it have a function? How did that originate? I will explore ideas like how is it that we journey with people who are hurting? I will explore ideas like how hokey religions, that is, incomplete religions, superficial religion, lopsided religion, actually destroys people more than their own sins. There's lots of lessons to learn in this book. I have done my best to touch on just a few of them, and I myself have many more to learn from this book. This is what I love about the book of Job. Who knows when my book about the book of Job, The Unfairness of the Gospel, actually comes out. I am working on it. Tweet me, pressure me, keep me going. Okay, I'm working on it though. But you have access to this book. And you have a great mind. And you can read and you can contemplate and you can pray and, and, and you can think deeper about managing your monsters, which is really the answer to the book of Job. Hey, if you found this podcast helpful today, go ahead, share it with someone, or recommend my podcast to them. Because there are too many people thinking they have to smile through the despair. And that's the absolute best way, smiling through the despair, to never find hope. We journey through the despair, because on the other side of the badlands, we find hope that reunites us to the joy of Jesus, even onto the resurrection of our Redeemer who lives. You have been listening to a podcast by Pastor Vinny McIsaac from simplyvinny.com. Stop by our website, check out our blogs, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, all that kind of jazzy promotional stuff. But most important, let's keep growing together in Jesus Christ all the more as we see the day of his return. 
approaching. See you at the next podcast. God bless.